in about a month, our election is coming. But thank God, our hope does not uh, uh, ride, uh, ride on the earthly election results. Nor do we hope in candidates who may or may not have Messiah complexes. Why? Because we already have a Messiah. We already have a Lord. We already have a King. We will vote for candidates who we believe will make uh, an effort to support truth. That's our desire. But our hope is not in our elected officials, whoever they may be. Our hope is in Jesus. Our Father in heaven is sovereign, he's wise, and he's in control. And our ultimate hope is not in any election. Our ultimate hope is in our Father in heaven. As Christians and as believers in Christ, we're called citizens of heaven. And Paul tells us in our passages this weekend that we're not only citizens of heaven, but in another passage we're we're, we're called sojourners. And we want to flesh that out a little bit. Because Paul says in Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is. And that's why no matter what happens during this election season, we don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. Should we be good citizens and should we vote? Absolutely. But we don't worry and we don't fret. Because we know there is a God, we know there is a Messiah who's in control, and we great, take great comfort. Peter, again, uses that phrase, soldiers, sojourners and exiles, and that's what we are. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 13, he calls us sojourners and exiles. Jesus Christ is our King, and as Christians, we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. He says, Paul says in Ephesians, you're no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the question is, what what difference would it make if a group of people lived out their citizenship, really embraced it and lived it out for God? What difference would it make? And the answer is, I think, all the difference in the world. And that's what we want to look at. What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven, a sojourner? And how does that, when we actually live that out, what difference does it make? So we're going to jump into Philippians chapter 3. It's on page 901. If you don't have a Bible, the chair Bible in front of you will, will help you out there. Uh, page 901, Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to start reading at verse 17. And then we'll talk about the implications of this passage. Philippians 3:17, page 901. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I, I'll, I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many who conduct show, whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think, only about this life here on earth. Notice verse 20. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. 
He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. So what difference does it make if Christians live as sojourners on earth and citizens of heaven? What difference does it make? And I think it makes all the difference in the world. It is the difference between whether or not there will be joy and stability in your private life and creativity and excellence in your public life, your professional life. It's going to make all the difference in the world if we live this out. The Bible tells us the moment we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, our citizenship is transferred from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. Then we become citizens of heaven. So there's a dramatic change. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, Jesus, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So at that moment that we crossed that line of faith, we were given a whole new set of duties, responsibilities and rights, a a new way of conducting ourselves with other people, a whole new way of relating to our world. We are citizens of another country. What makes a person an American? Think about that for a minute. Is it the color of their skin? No. Is it, uh, the, is it their race? No. Is it the language they speak? No. Um, is it the fashion that they're wearing? No. What makes a person an American? None of these things. What makes a person an American is their citizenship. Their citizenship. The same is true for us. Now the point is, as Christians... We have been granted a new heavenly citizenship. The question is, are we living up to our citizenship? Are we living as though we are citizens of heaven or not? And the question is, then that's really what we want to look at. And how well are we doing if we are? And how are we not doing well if we're not? And, and I want to give you a few tests, a few ways that you can look at your life and say, how am I doing as living as a citizen of heaven, as a sojourner here on earth? Uh, you, and, and, and it's the answer to the question, you know you're not acting like a citizen of heaven. So I'm kind of coming with a negative swing on this. But you know you're not acting like a citizen of heaven if, okay, and that's kind of how this is going to go. And the first one is, you know you're not acting as a citizen of heaven if you downplay the importance of the cross. The cross is, is really something that happened, but it's not very meaningful or very important. Most of the liberal mainline denominations have really lost and downplayed uh, the, the cross as central and significant and important. By the way, there are a lot of people who are saying today that secularism is winning the day, that religion, people aren't interested in religion and people aren't following God and and, and it's just a matter of time before the world becomes secular. But you know what studies have shown? Studies have shown that those who hold to the Scripture, those who hold to the Bible, those religions, those faiths are growing. The ones that are dying are the mainline liberal denominations that have 
long since said the gospel's nothing more than a metaphor. It's nothing important. It's nothing significant. So uh, don't fall for that, that uh, secularism is taking over our world. Paul says something very interesting. The cross is central. And Paul wanted the people of Galatia never to forget the cross. Notice what he says. This is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, page 891. He says this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping uh, the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Now, when somebody says there was no need for Christ to die, what are they doing? They're minimizing the cross. They're saying the cross isn't necessary. It's not important. Jesus didn't have to die. He's a metaphor for sacrificial love. That's all it is. There's no significance in a sense that Jesus uh, had to die on a cross. You know, see, it's easy to begin. The, and by the way, what I found, what we tend to do is we understand the Christian life begins by grace. We understand that we don't save ourselves, that we're saved because a rescue party of one, his name, Jesus Christ, came from heaven to earth, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, went to the cross for us, took our sin, became sin for us. We understand all that, but then then once we step across that line of faith and say, Jesus, you gave your life to me, now I give my life to you and I begin this journey with Jesus, but then we get on this side and we're on this journey and we say, I better not mess up or he'll throw me out. So we, grace is gone now. Now it's become law. It's become works. As long as I'm good enough, he'll accept me, but if I, if I mess up, then I'm out. So why do we change the price tag when we do that? And, and that basically, that attitude minimizes the cross, doesn't it? Because it says the cross will get me across the line, but it won't, it won't transform my life. When really the power of the cross is the thing that not only saves us, but transforms us. Without the cross, we're dead. We have no hope. Jesus took your place. He took your sins on the cross. He said, it is finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. So you know that you're, you're not living as a citizen of heaven when you, you downplay and kind of say the cross is, uh, eh, you don't have to follow that. Number two, you downplay or you're more concerned with what you eat than who you are becoming. Notice Paul says in the passage we read, their God is their stomach. That's kind of an odd phrase, isn't it? What does it mean? What he's essentially saying, Paul is saying, is that we can become, and we talked a little bit about this last week, and we we can become fairly legalistic. Um, Churches can sometimes be more concerned about your behavior than the condition of your heart. As long as you follow the rules and keep the rules, then you're good. Right? That's like, for instance, when I was in Bible college, it was a while ago, by the way, 30-some years ago. But when I was in Bible college, uh, <clears throat> they basically had rules about um, how we could dress, how we could wear hair or not wear hair, um, what kind of music we could listen to, um, all those things. Now, again, when I went to Bible school, I was like out of college and I was going back. So I had been through college already and now i'm 
in an environment where they're telling me how I'm supposed to live. Interestingly enough, as I've gone back a number of times over the past few years, I see the students, and guess what they're doing? They're wearing the clothes that we weren't supposed to wear. They're wearing hair like we weren't supposed to wear because that was ungodly. They're listening to music, rock music. I mean, they're, they're, and you say, well, what changed? What changed? How is it possible that that was wrong, but now it's okay? Now, what I found in when I was going to college is some followed the rules because uh, it was a badge of honor to them. But their hearts were far from God. They were just good at following the rules. There were others that rebelled, and their hearts were far from God, too. The point is this, that the church has always had a list. The nasty nine, the terrible ten, the whatever you want. And it went something like this. Uh, uh, what you do on Sunday, going to movies, drinking, uh, playing cards, um, a whole bunch of things. And there are churches in this community that hold firm to those. And essentially, uh, I understand that. But they're, they're, they're more concerned with your outward expression of behavior. As long as you are dressing right. And it's like the little kid who's in the car and the dad says, uh, he, he notices his, his son. By the way, this is a real thing that happened with me a number of times where I would say to my boys, you need to buckle up. Well, I don't want to. Well, I don't really care whether you want to. You need to buckle up. And uh, finally, after the second time or so, they'd buckle up. And I don't know if one of my boys said this, but I'm sure they thought it. I may be buckled up on the outside, but I'm not on the inside. So the heart wasn't there. They were doing all the right actions, but their heart wasn't there. And you know what? Uh, That is legalism. As citizens of heaven... We're called to live blameless lives and to flee the appearance of evil. The Bible tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. But we don't do it out of obligation. We don't do it out of guilt. We don't do it because we want to fit in. We do it because we have a true heartfelt desire to please God and not to cause to be a cause of stumbling to others. I'm going to do a message And I'll just prepare you for it now. I'm going to do a message in a few weeks in November. And I'm going to do it about your online presence. Some of you have an online presence. That let me just say this. It's embarrassing. And I'm not saying it because I've seen it. I'm saying it because I'm pretty much sure that's true. That, that some of the things that you post online shouldn't be posted online. Some of the things that are made light of and fun of shouldn't be made. And I'm not coming down trying to be legalistic. I'm just saying, if you're a citizen, a citizen of heaven, how does that affect your Facebook post? We'll talk more about that, but it's not the time and the place right now. But I believe that we're failing to show the world that we are citizens of heaven. I think that's one of the things that we're seeing right now. 
that we're not living out our citizenship. It's not heartfelt. We can follow the rules, and legalistic churches do that. But what I find is many times uh, the people that leave that church leave, leave the church at all, all because they say, well, I guess that's what Christianity is, and I'm not interested in that. And that's not Christianity. That's legalism. You know you're not a citizen of heaven when you're practicing legalism, when you're more concerned about the food you eat, understand the symbolism here, the food you eat rather than where the state of your heart, right? Number three, you know you're not living as a citizen of heaven when you are looking for the next new spiritual insight or trendy teacher. Notice what he says. He talks about their, uh, the phrase I want to see here. He says, uh, they, they downplay the cross of Christ. They, they brag about shameful things. Uh, the, the, they're enemies of the cross, and they're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag, brag about shameful things. And many of the times what they're doing is they're looking for that next spiritual insight or that next teacher. And this, this ha- has happened over and over. It has cycles within the church. We've seen this in the last, since I've been a Christian, I've seen this. Uh, One of the popular trends today is look for the next new teaching, the new book, the new experience, the next new uh, teacher that comes along. Because here's the thing, we want somebody to give us an experience or somebody to give us a pill. We don't want to to spend time in the Word. We don't want to spend time dealing with the conflict within the church and within our Christian community. We want to be set free from that. So we want to take a pill. We want to take a shortcut. We want to do something. We want to have an experience. So uh, those teachers have a new teaching. uh, And it's interesting to me because I've seen this come and go and come and go and come and go. And it's one of these things where they say, I have this new teaching. I have this new experience. And it's something that the church has never seen before. And I discovered it. Well, I'm kind of a little leery that after 2,000 years, you have come up with the solution or the newest thing, the best thing. I'm a little leery of that. And Paul basically says that uh, in the last days, that not only will there be a lot of these teachers and teachings, but there will be a lot of Christians with itchy ears that want to hear it. And uh, I think we need to be discerning Christians. One of the reasons we fall for these things, and by the way, do you want to know something? The number one supplier of cults, do you know where they come from? It's not from people who aren't or have never been followers of Jesus. They're from Christians. (laughs) From Christians. People, you say, well, wait, they should know better. Well, yeah, probably, but they don't. Uh, we need to be discerning Christians. And it's, we're so easily fooled and astray from the truth. What I mean is, we're not students of the Word. The knowledge of, and understanding of the Bible and theology is at an all-time low in our world, and in our, especially in America and our nation. It, it is. For instance, if I were to say to you that you need to be good Bereans, some of you would know what I'm talking about. Others of you go, What? Well, I'm going to show you what a good Berean is. So turn to Acts chapter 17, verse 11, and I will show you what, me, what I mean by being a good Berean. 
Because this is the idea of discernment. Whenever anybody get Paul basically said it last weekend, he says, if I or an angel from heaven or anyone else gets up and teaches a different gospel, let them be damned to hell. Well, how do you know if they're teaching another gospel? Well, you have to be a good Berean. Well, what's a good Berean? Well, here's what it says. Acts 17, 11. The people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. Now, when it says open-minded, it doesn't mean they're open to any idea that goes along. That's not what it is. If you read about what happened in Thessalonica, the gospel was preached and they rejected it. The people in Berea accepted the gospel. That's what it's saying. Now, notice what it says. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. And notice, they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching what? The truth. Do you know if somebody gets up, even me, and I'm teaching the truth or not? Do you know that? Do you know? And, and and so we have a lot of false teachers out there, just like there was in the early church. Do you know if they're a false teacher or not? And I just say, unless you're a good Berean, you won't know it. Well, what did the Bereans do? It's the same thing we need to do. We need to go back to the Scripture and say, where is it written? That's one of the tenets of the free church. The free church basically says, where is it written? You want to talk to me about an experience? I say, where is it written? You want to talk to me about a behavior? I'll say, where is it written? Show me from Scripture. If you can't show me from Scripture, I'm out. I'm out. They were open-minded about hearing God's Word, but they were always checked to make sure that it was God's Word. That's what I mean about being discerning. A citizen of heaven is a discerning person. They look at the scripture and they hear any message, whether it's on the radio, on TV, whether it's from this pulpit, whether it's from wherever they visit, a a book that they read, whatever it is. And they're always asking, where is it written? Where is it written? You know that you're not doing well as a citizen of heaven when you lump in the victim and the victim of the enemy with the enemy himself. How do you respond to those people who, to oppose, who oppose the truth? You say, well, they're enemies. No, they're not enemies. They're, they're deluded. They're deceived by the enemy. They're not the enemy. And we need to be very careful about that. And I'm talking about people who are part of cults. Are you cross? Are you angry? Are you cold? Are you harsh? Do you see them as the enemy? Now, this is tricky, but it's very important. They're not the enemy. They're the victim of the enemy. Notice, Timothy, Paul gives Timothy instruction of how we're to deal with people who have a different perspective of us. And and, and this would fall into line with those who hold beliefs that are, as I said, Berean, that they're not gospel. They're not the truth. They're not Christian. How are we to deal with them? Well, he tells us, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, page 914. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. And that's important for you to hear because sometimes you think, I'm going to change them by my good argument. 
Well, hopefully you will, but probably you won't. Until God turns the heart, nothing turns, right? And so you can gently be used of God. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. Do you understand what he's saying here? You cannot lump in people. And by the way, this goes for political parties and political ideology. I'm concerned about Christians who are virtually hateful of other people from the other side, whatever the other side looks like. And you you have to come to a place and say, until God turns a heart, why would you expect them to understand what you see as crystal clear? Notice the last thing he says, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. As a citizen of heaven, we treat everyone that we lock eyes with, with dignity and respect. We don't argue with them. We say, this is where I found bread, and this is what the bread means. And we just pray for God to turn their hearts. It's not our job to win arguments. It's not our job to convert them. We convert no one. But we lay it out there, and we say, God, if you can, set them free. Because when God sets a person free, he sets a free person free indeed. And some of you can attest to that. Your eyes were blind and you didn't see it. But then one day God turned your heart and everything changed. And now you see things different. But you didn't then. Remember who the enemy is. The enemy isn't somebody who holds a different position. The enemy is the enemy. And he has other people blinded. All right. You know that you're not living as a citizen of heaven, when you are living as if this world is all there is. Notice, they think only about this life here on earth. Some of you, I hope most of you are believers, followers of Jesus Christ. You receive Jesus as your Lord. You're citizens of heaven. But you're not living as a sojourner and a citizen of heaven. You're not living that way. One of the ways to know if you're living as a sojourner, a citizen of heaven, is where are you treasuring your time, your talent, and your money? Where are you treasuring it? Where are you storing your treasure? Where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your your talents and your abilities? Where are you spending your money? In your private life, are you living like a Christian? Are you living as a citizen of heaven? Uh, One hour on the weekends. But the rest of the time, you don't look any different from the rest of the earth dwellers. Right? I mean, you're all in your best behavior. I mean, nobody has come in on the weekend and dropped F-bombs to me. It generally doesn't happen very often. In fact, I don't think it has. I mean, you, you're, you're guarded with your language, you're guarded with all of that, and you're, you're behaving like good citizens of heaven. But do you live the rest of your week like earth dwellers? Are you excited about the Lord's return, or do you feel like you'll miss out on something? You know, a phrase, it was, I think it was in a song, it said, This world is not our home, we're only passing through. I wonder how many of us believe that. Do you think, see yourself as a heavenly sojourner? 
So I want to close and I want to ask you a question. Have you applied for citizenship? Maybe you say, well, I don't know if I am a citizen. Has there ever been a time where you said, Lord, I know I'm an alien. I know I have no right to be accepted by you and welcomed into your kingdom. I no longer trust in my own efforts. I place my trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done for me by his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. Has there ever been a time where you've said that to God, where you've called upon him and asked him to come into your life and be your savior? Have you ever said, God, I ask you to accept me based upon his sacrifice for me. I ask you to welcome me into your kingdom today. Have you called upon the Lord? Because when you call upon the Lord, you become a citizen of heaven and you become a sojourner here on earth. The things of this earth lose their their beauty and they lose their hold on you. And the things of heaven begin to have more of a gravitational, spiritual pull in your life. I want to close with a phrase by Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you know she was a young woman who dove uh, as a young girl into a pond and was uh, paralyzed. For She's been paralyzed for uh, the rest of her life. And she lives in a wheelchair. And here's what she says. When a Christian realizes his citizenship is in heaven, he begins acting as a responsible citizen of earth. He insists wisely in relationships because he, excuse me, he invests wisely in relationships because he knows they're eternal. His conversations, goals, and motives become pure and honest because he realizes these will have a bearing on everlasting reward. He gives generously of his time, money, and talent because he's laying up treasure for eternity. He spreads the good news of Christ because he longs to fill heaven's ranks with his friends and neighbors and family members. All this serves the pilgrim well, not only in heaven, but on earth, for it serves everyone around him. Are you a citizen of heaven? Are you a sojourner here on earth? Your life will tell. Stand with me. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come to you this weekend knowing that we have been set free from sin, but we have taken on a new citizenship. But maybe we haven't been living as citizens of heaven. We've been living more like earth dwellers, not as sojourners, not as people who are passing through, not as those who are investing our time and our talent and our treasure for your kingdom. And your spirit has spoken to our hearts in an area or two that we need to kind of get a, get a, get get back into play here. Help us to understand that we don't, we won't live in this world forever. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, but this world is passing. Our life is passing. Life begins after death. But help us to live as citizens of heaven. Father, some people say 
that person is no heavenly, no earthly good because they're so heavenly minded. I would say that's a total misunderstanding. Because when we understand what a citizen of heaven is, that we are no earthly good unless we are earth or heavenly minded. When we become so heavenly minded, so tied to what you're doing through us and in us and how you want to use us on this earth, we will become the citizens you've called us to be, the sojourners you've called us to be here on earth. Help us to do that, Father, for the world needs to meet heaven dwellers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.